Amen. Thank you, worship team. Uh, last week we began, and we're going to continue looking at Psalm 119. Uh, it was an introductory sermon, so if you weren't able to be there, um, you can find it online. But I'm also going to, uh, what we did was, we broke that into three points, and then each of those points will become the basis of a, a new sermon. So this morning, we'll look at the first one, which is really just diving into the beauty of God's ways. And Psalm 19 is the longest psalm, so we're not going to read the whole thing each week. In fact, we're just reading a smattering of verses. But Psalm 19 is a, a, an elaborate, like, longer version of Psalm 19, which talks about the law as being beautiful and reviving and transformative. But I think that's, that's something that can be confusing to us. The law can often seem repulsive or seem dangerous or seem threatening. And yet when you come to Psalm 119 and you read over and over the 22 stanzas of eight verses each, it, it draws you into how beautiful and transformative the law can be. And in fact, is if it doesn't threaten us. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Um, we'll start, I'm just going to read a few of the verses from uh, the beginning. And then um, I think we posted verses 33 to 40 uh, on the slide. So we'll do a little, a little bit of that and then we'll jump in. So I just wanted to first, before we read it, that part together, I want to start by saying it says, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. And that term blessed um, feels like um, you have to do good to be blessed, right? That's kind of how we hear that. But really, think about Jesus and the Beatitudes. It's saying just simply, when you do these things, life will go well for you. And so blessed are those whose ways blameless who walk in the law of the Lord. But just a few verses later, he, he asks God to teach him his ways, teach him his rules. So I want that to be your framework, but now we'll look at verses 33 to 40 together, and then we'll pray and jump in. In 33, he says, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. Let's pray. Father, we know that your laws, your truths, your precepts, your commandments are all reflections of your character. And you are a God who doesn't only uh, create us, Lord, but you created man in your image. That is to look and or walk like you and to walk in your ways. And I pray for that. Lord, we know that our flesh, our sin, this world, the devil, we know there's opposition everywhere. But as we come to Psalm 119, in light of all of your scripture, we know that you have a pathway, a plan of redemption, a way of salvation. And Lord, though we will never walk that way perfectly this side of heaven, I pray we would have hope and even a longing to, to walk in your ways. As we come into the hardships of life, as we deal with crazy things every day, as we um, process every decision, I pray we would do so, longing for your ways to be our ways. In your name we pray, amen. Um, 
growing up, I, I've talked about this before, but growing up at a pretty young age, I started watching Bob Ross. Any Bob Ross fans? My daughter likes Bob Ross. I don't know how he came back because he's passed on, but somehow he's famous again. But Bob Ross is the man that has the large hair and paints the painting, and it's 30 minutes. And it's fascinating because uh, you watch it, and it, and it turns out most of the viewers are just simply watching him. No one's actually trying the painting while he's painting. Uh, there are like 10% who do. But uh, the rest of us, and that's me included, just are amazed at like in 30 minutes how a white canvas can turn into that glorious scene. But what I love about Bob is he makes you at least feel like it's possible. Do you all feel that? Like, okay, if I wanted to, I could probably do this. You know, I'd get the palette knife, I'd make a couple pretty little trees and a couple happy accidents, and I'd have a painting like Bob. I was watching a guy, uh, a YouTube video of a guy who did that. He tried to do exactly like they, he had a bunch of people help him set up the stage and get the exact looking palette and the paints from Bob Ross's company, and he tried to follow it, and he couldn't quite do it. But at least he was trying, right? Okay. We want to know we have an, a chance, right? You want to know there's a possibility. And when you come to the law, I think so often we just, we, we look at it and say, there's just no chance. But I think the gospel frees you to go, wait a minute. What if, yeah, there might be a few happy little accidents. But what if we could actually grow and learn God's ways and see our lives shaped and transformed by the beauty of his scripture and his word? And that's what I love about Psalm 119 is it calls us into this meditative process of dreaming and hoping that throughout the course of our lives, we will grow closer into godliness and see flourishing in our lives. So uh, if you were here last week, you, heard, uh, you saw the outline. I'll just repeat it this week as well. Um, the very last verse of Psalm 119 kind of stands out a little bit. After all these amazing 175 verses of varying uh, things, it says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. And that's actually going to be the structure of the next three, this sermon and the next two. This week, I do not forget your commandments. We're going to talk about the beauty of the law and the ways of God. Next week, we'll talk about how we're to seek and ask God to deliver us to that place. Like, he's constantly crying out for God to reveal these things. But the last week, we'll look at that, that first statement, I have gone astray like a lost sheep, the importance of repentance in the process. So this week, we're going to look at the law and, and the beauty of the law, three thoughts. Just what is the law? It's a confusing concept, so we'll hopefully unpack that a little bit based on our passage. Uh, why? Like, why do we even have law? And then the last one is who? So what is the law according to Psalm 119? Um, it has eight different words, as we mentioned last week, for the, what we'd call the synonym. So Torah, or law, is sort of the collection of all of the words. But other ones are testimonies, precepts, statutes, commandments, ordinances, um, duties or rights, the, the word uh, also, and then promises. So those are the eight different I just envision circles that all overlap in the very middle. And that very middle where they all overlap, the word I would just use is like God's ways or God's path, like his character. And the idea is not so much um, like how do you follow the rules, but it's like who is God and what are his characteristics and how does this life 
work. In verse 97, just to kind of give you a few places, um, we see, actually, sorry, 89 to 96, we see almost several of these laid out for us. He says, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. By your appointments, they stand to this day. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts. So you see the synonymous use. It goes right into precepts. Um, he goes on to say, I consider your testimonies. So the, I, your commandment is exceedingly broad. So what, what you find is those eight words aren't just scattered throughout this long psalm, but they're constantly being overlapped. And the, and the idea is something far more than um, this sort of am I doing it right feeling. It's, it's the flowering and the flourishing of, of the character that God offers us in his law. When I was, I, I don't know what age I was, but I remember someone gave me life's little instruction book. Did anyone ever get a copy of that? Older folks, like a dad wrote it to his son and it became like a bestseller and it was, had all these little pithy comments. Anyone know that book? Mark Tower. And okay, you just, now it's like an auction. People are just helping me out. Yeah, I know it. Like, one that stands out would be, like, these are his silly little statements. His son's graduating college, and so he's writing all these, what you and I might call hopeful common sense thoughts. But one was that stood out to me. I don't think I follow it. Uh, every time you drive by children with a lemonade stand, you pull over and you buy a couple. Who does that? That's a rule. That's a good rule. Why? I mean, it just makes sense. Like, that, that, they're not trying to, like, take over. You know, this is just a little thing for their heart, and you have an opportunity with a dollar to, to serve them. So you need these instruction books, right? We need to know how this world works. Um, a better example for me, I'm sitting uh, with a friend. Uh, um, we were at a um, progressive dinner at Heritage Presbyterian Church, and there's this precious couple, the Steidels, Bob and Jeannie Steidel. And he is an engineer, aerospace engineer for, like, Boeing. And we're sitting there, and I'm, I want to say, 22, 23 and I looked at Bob, really one of the kindest people you could ever meet. And I just said, I don't understand how a, a, an, air, an airplane, and I don't know, a, a DC-10, whatever size is, you know, how that thing could ever get airborne. Like, it makes no, and he looked at me like I had just said, I don't understand how to close my car door. Like, he just kind of, you could tell he's trying to be nice. But his brain is going, this is the most obvious thing in the world. Don't you know what thrust is? And help me out with other terms, Simon, like lift and thrust, steering. Is that one of them? No, I'm probably off now. Um, he had so embedded himself in those truths for so long and experienced them in his job that for him to not think that would work is crazy. And, and the point being, if I could learn the truths of our universe to the degree he did, I would never have that same question. And so that's literally what's happening. The psalmist is inviting us to go, look, God kind of made everything. And he's inviting you and I to learn how it works. And we will flourish to the degree we know how it works. Right? It's the same with whether you, how you eat or how you exercise or how you study. I mean, all these things, we get it. But somehow when it comes to God's word, there's a tendency to be nervous about it. And yet the psalmist is inviting us to use words like, I love your law. I, I, it, it, its truths transform you. It, it, it's better than gold, fine gold, refined gold. Now, 
what is the law? If I were to just ask you with the microphone, you're on the street, you know, jaywalking, like, what's the law? What would you say? Someone just throw out a word. What would be one word? The Ten Commandments. Okay, that's good. That's two words. But that's really good. If you had to choose one, you would just choose commandments. And we'd be back where we started. So the Ten Commandments. But right before the Ten Commandments, there's this concept um, that sort of all ten flow out of. And that is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right? In Luke 10, a lawyer is trying to get Jesus and says, how do I have eternal life? And Jesus says, well, do you know the law? And he says, well, yes. And he defines it. And he says those two things. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. And what does Jesus say? Then you know everything you need to know. So the number one word, when you hear the word law, if this is the only thing you ever get out of this sermon, is love. Is that what you think of when you hear the word law normally? Love. Now, when I come across verses like love your enemy, I feel overwhelmed because I don't think I can. Do you ever feel that? I'm not sure I'm capable of that. Similarly, when you read the, uh, the verse, you know, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. We get kind of frustrated. It's overwhelming. But do you, do you hear the grace? God is saying, I'm inviting you into a relationship where I'm willing to perfect you. And that one day, someday, you will be perfect the way you were designed to be. And in the same way, God is saying, um, I can do work in your soul that will make you love someone who's trying to take you out. That is amazing. Have you all loved something before? Like, what do you love? Uh, we love our pets. She got sick this week. We love our spouses. We love our parents. We love our, when you love something, somebody, a hobby, a vacation spot, there is energy, there is drive, there is, it's, it's sort of an end point. You don't get to that thing you love and go, now what do I want to do? Like, I'm with my, this person I love, or I'm at this place I've been wanting to get to. Love is a gift. And God is saying, I will invite you into a life of love that is overwhelming. And it's primarily going to be rooted in love of God and love of neighbor. So that is what the law is. I just want to, I can't spend a ton more time on that because I want to talk about why. Why we even use this word law and why it exists. Um, in our passage, if you were to read, did anyone read Psalm 119? You don't have to do a show of hands, but I would encourage you to read through it. Uh, it will... I think, revive your soul. It will also, um, I think you'll see a lot of things. You're like, oh, that, I didn't realize that was in there. But there's something you find in, in, in Psalm 119, and that is affliction. Um, this psalmist, though super excited about the law and, and says he loves the law, also talks about struggles and the fact that this world is uh, fraught with problems and, and, and afflictions. Uh, last week we mentioned this, but in, in verse 105 it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, implying that the pathway can be very dangerous. And we need to see, and so the scripture and, and God's word guides us, right? He says, I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. And then in 107, just two verses later, I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. So what you find is throughout the psalm, we see that both he, he's longing for God to come in and transform him and his circumstances, but he's also very aware of affliction. And it's not just affliction out there. He has affliction 
in, inside as well, his own sins and his own struggles. And this is in different places. In Psalm, in verse 38, confirm, or 105, excuse me. Now that's embarrassing. We've had some embarrassing moments this morning. I just want you to know it's all planned. 105, I just want you to see how much you love the law. Okay, yes, that's right. Your word is a lamp to my feet. And so this idea of this affliction, there's another verse. I'll find it in a minute. But at one point he talks about the affliction of his own sin and, and the fact that iniquities abound. And, I, and what we find is that law is given um, as a way to bring in the promise of God. In Genesis 3, right after the fall, if you were to ask Adam and Eve before the fall, what is the law of God? Tell me the law. All they would tell you is don't eat of the fruit. That's the only, everything else was just natural. Love and not killing people and all the things they would have known. But after sin came in, they needed rescue. And so God shows up and, and he starts with a promise. In 3.15 he says he will send a seed of the woman to take out Satan. Again, in, um, later in Genesis, we see Abraham brought out of Ur and brought into what will be the promised land. And he's given a promise that you will have an offspring who will essentially rescue the nation, a seed. And so this promise precedes law. And then in, in Exodus, we get to the Ten Commandments. Thanks, Charlie, we know the Ten Commandments. And that's not the invention of the law, it's just the expression of the law. And the law is given because of the fact that we have real needs and real promises or real problems in our lives and we need to be told how to live. But what that law does is that law drives us to the only one that can actually rescue us. So uh, this idea of affliction um, in light of the law. Whenever Jesus answered that lawyer, he said, um, you know the law. And the man says, you know, love, he says, now go and do likewise. And what does the lawyer say to him? Who is my neighbor? How would I love my neighbor as myself? That's in Luke 10. And then Jesus gives one of the most famous parables where he gives this story of the, of the Samaritan who is the only one willing to rescue the hurt and the maimed on the road. And what you find is it's in this affliction that Jesus is drawing our attention to the real need to love our neighbor. Right? You would think he could just give any kind of a scenario, but it's this story most likely made up of the fact that there's a man on the road and the people who are bypassing him all have legal reasons. Right? And it's the Samaritan whom you would think would have zero desire to help in the story that actually comes and rescues and brings this man out of this affliction and rescues him. And I think the question I would ask is why do you think that Samaritan was able to do that? Because he's the only one that wasn't under the law. It's important that we know that if we are trying to live this life by fulfilling rules, we will be tight, we will make selfish decisions, we will ignore harm. But when we live as people who have been set free, like the one the Samaritan rescued, we will actually move toward people in their affliction. And you see that in our psalm, verse 132, it says, Turn to me. And be gracious to me. Keep steady my steps according to your promise. And let no iniquity get dominion over me. 
So part of his loving the law is crying out to God for his need of rescue, which is exactly what we see with the Good Samaritan story. It's this idea that Jesus has come and he's rescued you from the law. So here would be my question. What keeps us from loving God's ways? What keeps us from going, I love your law. Um, I, I, I desire to love my enemy. I desire for you to move into my, to my life and change me. I would love right now just to go around the room because everyone's kind of like, I don't know. For me, it's the question of, I've already asked in the beginning, I'm not sure I can accomplish this. Like I want, to, I want this relationship to be healed. I want this sin pattern to go away. I want God's ways to rule in my life, but I have a fear. The fear is, I'm not sure I can do it, right? We have this kind of lone mentality. And what we find in scripture is the law comes in and says, let me help you. Now, earlier we talked about the words for the law. And one of those words was Torah, as we've said. And that is really, according to uh, one of the commentators, Kidner, that that is sort of the, that, that's more than just law. That's like all of Revelation, in fact, uh, Psalm 1, which talks about meditating on the law day and night, that Torah, it means meditating on all of God's word. And it's in the New Testament that we see Paul explain to us a little bit more of what that means when he says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So Jesus now, what we're hearing is he's the one who made everything. He is the visible God. He's made all of creation. It was made through him and it was made for him. Right? And he goes on, he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. That, that's the doctrine of providence. That God is not only the one that created everything. But Jesus is now ruling from heaven and he's keeping it working and running. And it says in that in him, he's, or he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in him everything might be preeminent. He might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And when I think of that scripture and I, and I see who Jesus is, I would propose to you this. When you read Psalm 119, when you read about the law, in the Old Testament. Understand, especially Psalm, I'm, I'm not confused, it's just over, 19 is the short version, 119 is the long version, but any of these Psalms are pointing not just to, to the scriptures in and of themselves though they are, but they're pointing to Jesus. He is the manifestation of the law. He is the one who the psalmist is talking about. When the psalmist says, be my shield, be my protector, redeem me, fulfill your promises, he's talking about Jesus. And so we come to Colossians, and Paul now in the New Testament is able to say, let me tell you who the psalmist was referring to in Psalm 119. So my question is, are we praying and talking to Jesus in the way that psalmist is talking in Psalm 119? Uh, Paul goes on and just says this, you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he, Jesus, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. So what we have in Jesus is at, his, at the cross 
is the, Samarit, the, the Samaritan having rescued us. We're laying, languishing on the road, like the psalmist in 119 in our affliction. And Jesus has come and rescued us, put us on his donkey, whatever animal, and he's rescued us and taken us to the hospital and reviving us. The law can no longer harm you. So that's why we sing these songs, to see the law by Christ fulfilled, to hear his pardoning voice. The fact is, you are no longer able to ever be condemned by anything you do. The law has been completely taken away in its ability to to judge you because you now have Christ. So we are set free to actually move in and love his law and his word. So what would be the application for that? I've been thinking a lot about this psalm this week, obviously, and just kind of curious as to why, if you've read Psalm 19, you'll notice it's just a lot shorter, it's more concise. Uh, you may know it already. It's, um, it's the psalm that talks about how the sun comes out and the, decla- you know, the heavens declare the glory of God, the sky proclaims his handiwork. And he talks about natural creation, but then he says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. And just a few more verses. And you come to 119, and you, I have thought this. Why? Like, why do we need 176 verses? The theology doesn't change, right? It's not like, oh, there's some more depth that I didn't see over here. There's a little bit. And the more I've read it and reread it and reread it, I realize it's for this reason. One reason. I can't give the exact reason. God hasn't told me the exact reason. But my takeaway is my heart needs it. Because Psalm 119, I see as a meditation and a prayer of affirmation. We, we, um, we laugh at affirmation. You know, Stuart Smalley is that, you know, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. You know, the Saturday Night Live character. And we, you know, you laugh and then you get some book that tells you, you should try affirmations. Has anyone tried affirmations? You should try them. They're good. Everyone should look in the mirror and say, good enough, I'm good enough. No, don't do that. The reason that we laugh a little bit is you want to say, well, what if you're not? Like, what if you're not good enough? What if you're not smart enough? Or Stuart Smalley, what if people don't really like you and you just keep looking in the mirror and saying these personal affirmations? What makes an affirmation powerful is if it's true. And so the scriptures tell us truths about ourselves. We believe them in our head, but we go about our lives as if they're not true. The scriptures say that Jesus has rescued you. He, you have been known from the foundation of time. He has rescued you. He dies on the cross for you. He's put his Holy Spirit in you. The fulfillment of Jeremiah 31, 33, the law is now on your heart, a heart of flesh. And, and as we come to Psalm 119, we have this freedom to enter with him and, and start going, I need affirmations. And I think it took him 176 verses that morning to walk away and go, okay, I think I can make it through the day. Because my tendency is to go the other direction. But when I read over and over, when I confess to Jesus over and over, you are loving you are holy, you are pure, and you start talking to Jesus like he's talking in the Old Testament, your heart will begin to shape and begin to form, and you will begin to love, yes, even your enemies. You'll begin to actually desire him to change you. You'll feel resistance as you're reading through 
different scriptures. Might, might I suggest 1 Corinthians 13? You know, love is patient, love is kind. It's read it over and over, but with affirmation. Because what we are now aware of in Christ is that the law has been fulfilled, its negative implications, and now you are free to ask Jesus to change you, to actually grow in these ways. But it's an act of worship. So I, I would encourage you again this week with Psalm 119 to read it. If you haven't done that, it's about 30 minutes, so you could spread it out over a few days. But, but read it as a prayer from you to the Father, and read it with affection toward Jesus and what he's done. Love him as he loves you. Pursue him as he pursues you, and he will change your life. Let's pray. Father, I praise you for your law. I praise you for your way and your pathway, that it is blameless. I praise you that you have, in redeeming us, you have not called us to just sit in the corner and wait around, but you have called us to a life of transformation. Lord, all of us that are Christians long for glory. We long for the day we will meet you face to face. But my prayer for Grace Church from my own heart is that in the intermediate time while we are living on earth, that we would learn more and more to bring our hearts before you in prayer, in repentance, in studying of your scripture, in longing for transformation. Lord, teach us to not be hearers of the word, but those who actually do the word by crying out to you, Jesus, that you would redeem us, that you would change our motives, that you would give us opportunities that you would fix broken relationships, that you would give us a passion for mission, um, for seeing people come to Christ for the first time, for restoring uh, broken marriages and just so many places that are hurting after this pandemic. Teach us to be a, a, a missional church, starting with our own lives in you, but then moving into our community and to the rest of the world. In your name we pray, amen.